Hey everyone, you're listening to Finding Japan, episode 43, and this episode almost didn't happen. I'll tell you why in a second. Well, I just got back from the Kombini, got some Odin. I uh, went with the Diacon, the, the radish, because that's the best way to go, in my own humble personal opinion. Um, this podcast almost didn't happen. I had everything all set up. I was ready to go, and I ended up starting watch or starting to watch videos on YouTube. And unfortunately, um, I got extremely distracted. So, but I steered myself back on course, and uh, we're going to have uh, a good episode. I think I have one major topic I want to talk about, and a little. Just a little nugget, something fun uh, towards the end. But um wanted to send a special shout-out to San Nakji, who is currently in Korea. He gave us a quite a good podcast the other day. He was stuck outside of uh, the place that he's staying at. I believe he's there visiting family right now. And uh, at the end, he even gave us a little bit of Korean. But I uh, actually forgot to ask him to translate that and to let us know what was going on there. So... If he could, in his next podcast, Son, if you're listening, uh, go ahead and let us know what, what was going on there with the uh, the Korean. I couldn't tell if it was Son himself, but uh, I could definitely tell it was Korean, obviously. Um, I, I was thinking about this the other day in terms of Asian languages in general. Um, if you're here studying Japanese in Japan, you will most likely be doing so with many other Asian people. Um, Chinese... Korean, Filipino, Taiwanese, Malaysian, you name it. And one talent that I have picked up that uh, I really didn't have before I came here was being able to distinguish between um, pretty much all of the Asian languages. There's a few minor differences that I still can't pick up, but I can certainly tell, um, obviously, the differences between Japanese and the rest of the languages, but also now... Uh, the differences between Cantonese and Mandarin as well as um, Korean. So if you are studying here um, and you're just getting started, look forward to that. That's sort of an added added bonus, I think, of studying Japanese here in Japan. The, um, the thing that I want to talk about today primarily is um, I had a great conversation with a, a friend of mine the other day. And we ended up going to a hotel in Odaiba, and we had a, a great view of the city, and we went up to this thirtieth uh, floor bar, and we just had a we had a great time just sitting there and chatting. But one thing I didn't expect was um, the conversation that we had, and the way it made me reflect here on my uh, time that I've spent in Japan. So I just wanted to talk about that for a little bit, if if you guys will indulge me in uh, such a topic. I talked to uh, I talked a little bit before in a, a prior episode about how being here in Japan gives you a sense of, um, uh, I guess it, it, it makes it very easy to step back from world affairs, particularly 
American affairs, American political affairs, and I'm not going to turn this into a uh, politics podcast per se, though uh, that is something I'm interested in doing later, but not turning this podcast into a politics podcast, but actually setting up or, or participating in a politics podcast. But um, one of the things that allows you to take that step back, I think, is just the space away from the daily assault of the media. And here in Japan, um, Alex has a television in his room, but I, I don't have a television, so I'm not constantly watching the news. And uh, if I were, obviously, I'd be getting Japanese news. I would not be getting American news, or at least not much American news. So my catching up on news has been primarily at my own leisure and usually via the internet. Um, there's also a few blogs that I've subscribed to as well as um, news sources. And then the way I actually get my news is I subscribe to what I think are the most reliable or most, um, how to put it, most content-focused sites. And I usually subscribe to the RSS feeds. And then what I do is I filter that content down so I only get the things that are, are really um, important to me that I want to track, so to speak, to have my thumb on. Um, you know, either whether it be companies that I'm interested in or certain things that are going on. But every once in a while, I'll sort of load up MSNBC or ABC News or CNNs or even Fox News just because I kind of want to see what's going on with those guys. Um, I'll load up their web pages and I'll sort of take the macro view. And um, some of this stuff too, I often hear through the Economist podcast, which um, if you're interested in just general world affairs and you're, you're looking for a great podcast to keep on top of things, if you're in a foreign country, check out um, the free podcasts that the Economist has. Um, I've always viewed the Economist as sort of a uh, neutral organization. I think people who are a little bit wiser than me may be able to educate me on that, um, but their news seems to be relatively unbiased and obviously focused more on the economic aspects. And of course, obviously, BBC is another um, great source. So th this is primarily how I'm learning about the world now. I'm not relying on American news sources and especially American television and radio. And the perspective that you start to develop um, you find, or at least I'm finding, I don't want to project this on anybody else, but what I'm finding is that um, I'm beginning to feel more and more distant from American culture and, I, well, I can't say American culture, I guess in, in the day-to-day -day things, so I don't get caught up in the celebrity happenings or the hot new movie that's coming out this week. I only hear about the issues that are ongoing, that are that are, um, you know, threading through many of those topics that are appearing in the media. So a lot of the topics that I'm getting are some of the big item topics, like um, some of the bills that have been passing through Congress, um, obviously everything that's going on with Iran right now, and what some of our legislators are saying, and, and obviously a lot of the presidential election, but um, not the day-to-day, -day, not the ads, not the constant bickering back and forth on talk shows. And what I'm finding is it's it's allowing me to develop a um, 
what I think is a good macro view of what's going on in the U.S., and it's something that I haven't had before. It's something that I don't think I've had the ability to develop, frank, frankly. And um, I'm, I'm sure there are people who will disagree with me vehemently or who have had different experiences, but um, I wanted to share my standpoint, or tachiba. That's one of the words I learned today. Tachiba means standpoint. And it uses the kanji for stand and place. Pretty cool. Anyway, so that's, you know, I'm developing my own um, view of U.S. domestic affairs and U.S. international affairs um, in a different light, I think. And, it, and it's quite interesting. I think the bad part about that is, though, is I'm beginning to psychologically distance myself from the United States. And I, I, I'm not, not in an unpatriotic sense, but just in a sense where I, I fear I won't be able to relate in the future to some of the things that are going on within the U.S. Um, I, I think, I haven't really prepared my thoughts on this too well, but I, I, it was important enough for me to want to bring up, so please bear with me. I think one of the things that um, I really appreciate about being in a foreign country for so long is the opportunity to meet people that you wouldn't otherwise meet if you were in the United States. I've found that people who do travel internationally are, first, they have a sense of adventurism about them and a sense of wanting to get out and see other things. So compare that to the person who has never left their state um, in the U.S. It's a very different world perspective. It's a very different world view. And that's, that's fine, and of course that also varies between people. But what I've noticed being here is the people that you meet you are a much more broad-thinking set of people than the people that you would meet in your own country. And I'm sure this doesn't apply only to America. I'm sure this applies to many, many countries. So please don't misinterpret um, my words as a, as a slant against America. I, I love my country, and I, I think we have one of the biggest hearts, And uh, but I also think we're very easily distracted. So... Um, but what I, I'm kind of losing my thoughts here and I'm sorry, but I, but I am on round two of the, uh, Onikoroshi Sake, which I'm going to take a stop here and talk about Onikoroshi Sake. You, you may have heard this before. I did a video episode on Hanami and there was a short scene where Alex was showing the uh, juice box sake and we were making some jokes about the uh, juice box sake. Well, I uh, went to the convenience store today actually about an hour ago, and picked up some Onikoroshi just to sort of bring me back to Hanami mentally, I guess. Right now we're going through what I think is a mini typhoon. I can't, I don't even, I don't even know what's going on. All I know is I went down to Ginza earlier today and I, uh, I brought my umbrella. And a while ago I bought this great big umbrella and you've, you've probably heard my umbrella stories already, but unfortunately two of the prongs or the arms that come down on the umbrella kind of whipped up the other way because it was so windy. And I was so frustrated because I was getting wet. I had this huge umbrella and I was still getting wet and there was rain flying up into the umbrella and just sort of surrounding me, my bag, my jeans, everything, totally wet. So I uh, I had a little beat down with the umbrella on the porch when I got home, but everything's better now. We've, we've recovered. Um, 
the the umbrella is no more, but uh, not much I can do about that. So, um, but where was I going with that? Yes, yeah, so I went to the convenience store, which is right around the corner here, to get some onikiroshi and kind of settle into the night and get the uh, daikon oden. And uh, what else did I get? I got some ramen for tomorrow because um, I guess this is supposed to continue for for quite a while. So that's what's going on here. I was distracted opening up my onikiroshi. But um, I'm getting off topic. But yeah, the people that I've met out here from foreign countries are just very different than the people I've met um, in the U.S. when I'm out. And uh, obviously, that's true. It's a complete general. It's it's a complete not generalization. It's almost painfully obvious. If you go to a, a city like New York, you're you're bound to do the same thing. Um, I went to Fridays in Ueno maybe a week and a half ago. And I had an excellent conversation with a gentleman from Turkey and Iceland. And unlike in the U.S., where there are certain taboo topics with strangers, such as politics, religion, and um, sex, I've found that people here, especially in cities like Tokyo, are more open to talking about these things. And every time... I'm introduced to somebody new from a foreign country, I take the opportunity to try to understand their worldview because I look at that as a way to collect more information to help me develop my own worldview. And this conversation that I was able to have with this Turkish gentleman was incredible. This was just around the time where Turkey had announced the... um, the approval to use force against the um, PKK in northern Iraq, um, who have been, uh, there's been some trouble up there in the the border of northern Iraq where it borders Turkey. And I, I, unassumingly, I just asked him, what's your view? What do you think? What's, what's your view about Iraq and the Turks? Um, Or I'm sorry, the Kurdish people that are in Iraq. And, And what's your view about Turkish politics, and what's your view about Turkish people? What are Turkish people like? Um, what's daily life like? And and what do you think of U.S. politics and U.S. foreign policy? And the ability just to get that feedback and develop that view was just um, so enriching to my own personal views that I think um, I somewhat underestimated the the uh, benefits of living in another country. And I, I think that's one of the main benefits. So if you if you do have the opportunity to live in another country and you do have the opportunity to spend a bit of time there, um, I guess all I could say is use that opportunity and, and try to learn as much as you can of both about um, other cultures and other people and... Um, a little bit about uh, the culture you're living in, obviously. And um, I think, I, I hope that uh, if you do that, you'll you'll learn a little bit more about yourself, too. That That's certainly what's been happening to me lately. So, um, But like I said, the, the byproduct of that is, is you begin to feel a little distanced. And I had shared the sentiment with my friend, and he had told me that um, his own personal perspective is to f- share and give back to his own country. His perspective was that 
if you are living and working in another country, you are an ambassador of your country to the people you are interacting with. And um, I've seen many examples of Westerners and Europeans, I'll say, um, behaving badly or acting poorly in Japan. And my friend had relayed an example where a gentleman was trying to check into a hotel and apparently the hotel didn't have his reservation. And this gentleman, instead of just waiting and patiently or patiently giving the clerk the opportunity to do his job and to look into it to him, for him, um, he started causing a problem and eventually said, got to the point where he said, uh, no, I know I'm right, you're wrong. And the clerk was saying, oh, I'm terribly sorry, we're looking into it, let's see if there's anything we can do. And he says, this is ridiculous, and starts stammering. And then eventually drops the line about, I know we should have never left after World War II. And that, to me, is just unbelievably um, just inconsiderate, insensitive, um, ignorant, and um, just sad, really sad in a way. And I'm I'm not saying this as a generalization of Western behavior in Japan, but I think one has to take into account when you're working with another culture your actions are are can be representative of that person's opinion of your culture and that is a responsibility i think that anybody has when they go to another country to visit so as much as it is i think a person's job to learn about other cultures it's also another person's job to represent their own society and their own country in the right light so that's sort of the second aspect of that. And that, that's something I had been aware of, especially watching other foreigners and looking at what things they do to try to adapt, what things they just refuse to do. And um, I, I always try to look, too, for the, the middle ground. I gave the example um, before to another friend of mine of what I had to do in my job when I arrived. The type of work I do is, I guess you could call it, intra-company consulting. You consult with different areas in the company in order to assist the development of plans. And oftentimes we have a general process we follow, but what we don't do is a very detailed step-by-step plan and label out each of the deliverables. We usually do a high-level time frame, or a high-level timeline, I mean, um, that maybe goes by month or by week. Here's what we'll do this week, and then the following week we think this step will take us two weeks and when we're done we'll have this Um, but when i arrived they wanted a more detailed plan here in japan and i knew that in order to gain that trust i needed to be able to accommodate that or at least meet them part way and i've also noticed the people that i work with in this office have also met me um, part way as well so there's really been a coming together and i can see where that would have been much more difficult if neither of us were willing to move from our positions. It would have just made the job more difficult and there would have been a lot more friction. So much in the same way, I think when you're working in another culture, you need to be really careful about your own positions and try to meet those people halfway. So to bring that example back to this gentleman, I I firmly believe that if he would have just stayed there and waited patiently, that the, uh, 
Japanese hotel clerk would have done everything in his power to try and satisfy the needs of that person. So that's the second aspect. The The third aspect was the one that I was really surprised about, really surprised to hear. And I think it was quite beyond where I am now, but I'm glad that my friend mentioned this because it's something that I think is a little redeeming to the way I feel now. Like I mentioned, I, you know, you start to feel a little distant from what's going on in your own country if you're spending a lot of time abroad. And um, I, I think one of the... Uh, hold on, I need to actually just think about this for a moment. One of my fears, obviously, was that distance growing. But what my friend had said is, he said, your job as a uh, an American abroad is really to bring that experience back to the U.S. and to share that experience with people who are in the U.S. and help others to understand that um, there isn't just a narrow one-culture view and that there is this larger view and that we're all people and we all need to live on this planet together and, and find a way to do that. And... I never really thought about the responsibility that I have to the United States as a U.S. citizen and the responsibility that I have to my other citizens, fellow citizens within the United States. I think it's very easy, especially when you're here alone, to, to think that you're on your own culturally and that you are creating some sort of distance. But rather than think about that in a spatial sense where really you are so far away and you are creating that distance. I think it helps to think of that in a, um, just a mind expanding sense that, yeah, you take that distance, but it's like taking a few steps back from the problem in order to get a better view. And I think to be able to bring that view back with you in whatever you do, whether it be business or art, relationships, family, anything, to be able to bring that worldview back and share it, I think is ultimately the responsibility of anybody who travels abroad. So I, I had never really thought about it that way before. I, I had thought about, you know, learning from other cultures and, and, and I've thought about the, the distance aspect and I thought about being culturally flexible, but I never really thought about my own responsibility towards um, my own country. In that regard, and that one simple statement, that one simple comment, really helped me put my fear of creating that distance into perspective. So, I uh, I enjoyed my conversation with my my uh, friend the other day about this, and um, actually, a lot of the people here in J in Japan who have helped me think about what culture means and why I'm here. It, it's not I'm not here really just to learn language I'm, I'm here really to learn about myself and I think uh, this is just one aspect of that so I, I would encourage you if you feel the same way I'm I would like to know I'm, I'm curious what other people experience when they go overseas and you know in a lot of ways too I hate the podcasting format because of this reason the way I feel right now I feel like I've just said okay this is how I feel and this is the way it is and I really don't think that's true. I think there are many other perspectives. There may be people who think that uh, 
their own country is completely lost and the rest of the world has it right and they're out learning about it. And I'm sure there are people who think that their own country is the best in the world and they need to spread you know, uh, their own ideology or their own culture around the world because it's the best. I'm sure there's a, and, and then obviously there's somewhere in between there's a gradient. So I, I like to think I work in that gradient and, uh, all in the name of, um, self-improvement and hopefully the, uh, improvement of others and the education of, of others. So I don't know. I, I hope, I hope I'm making some sort of sense. This was, uh, again, a topic that, uh, I've thought about a lot, but I, I had never really been able to frame it and until I had that last piece. I, I almost sort of felt embarrassed to talk about it because I didn't want to have a podcast talking about how, you know, I'm having trouble relating to things that are going on in the U.S. or things that are going on internationally that are um, directly involving the U.S. But I think um, now that I I have that aspect, I'm better armed to uh, deal with it both the um, emotionally and, and psychologically, and and I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's it. That's that's pretty much all I had to uh, say about that. I know it's kind of a a uh, a weighty topic, and uh, may even be kind of boring and a little off the uh, beaten path in terms of some of the other topics. I mean, what was it like two episodes ago? We were talking about. Bread in a vending machine, and now, <laughs> now we're getting all serious. So, I apologize for that. But let, let's sort of turn this around, and I uh, got one more thing, and then we'll we'll close this out. Okay, the last thing I wanted to bring up was um, I was looking for just something light to share at the end of this podcast because I knew it would kind of be uh, a little dull otherwise. But um, I'm, I'm not sure if uh, any of the listeners are familiar with the uh, Fensler Films G.I. Joe PSAs that were done. If you were born in the late 70s or early 80s and you grew up watching G.I. Joe, um, you'll know somewhat what I'm talking about. If you recall, there were usually small... Um, public service announcements that were done using the G.I. Joe animations. And they, the artists would actually create these animations. And they had to do with things like talking to strangers or uh, what else did they do? Uh, dangerous situations that you should avoid. And it always ended with, you know, and knowing is half the battle, you know, and then G.I. Joe, you know, everybody would be like, yeah, and then you'd go play with your action figures in the dirt pile. And then your mom would call you for dinner and you'd get mad because you had to do your homework. At least that's how it worked for me. But um, these guys at Fensler Films, they ended up translating, well not, I can't say translating, they ended up redubbing them and recutting them, and they made them absolutely hilarious. And there's a really funny one uh, that was redubbed in Japanese, and the Japanese itself, uh, I, I, I'm at the point where I understand it, but uh, it, it almost sounds like they took um, a... Uh, like a language learning phrase book, like a, that that comes with like an audio CD or an audio tape, and they pasted the stuff together because the context is totally off. But that's also sort of the style of these uh, PSAs. So I will post a link to this one at the uh, in in the show notes. But um, uh, I'll play the audio for this right now for you all, and you can enjoy, and then go check out the uh, 
the actual uh, different PSAs on it. You can find them on YouTube real easily. So here we go. こんにちは。高田さんをご紹介いたします。お元気ですか変わったことはありませんか初めまして。2、3日したら電話をかけてください。ではまた。ちわらたしふづくる。Yeah, so definitely, definitely check that out. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Um, I wanted to thank you all again for listening. I hope it didn't bore you too much with that topic. Um, I also wanted to thank everybody who left comments on the last episode. I realized it wasn't a really bad podcast, but I appreciate the encouragement in the comments. And as always, I hope you all keep listening. So thanks again. Bye.